0: You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get
1: ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however, you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. All right. In this episode, we go inside the huddle with Matthew Principe, Director of Innovation at Detroit Opera and Director of live streams at Boston Baroque to talk about the Mets. No, not that Mets. And no, not the museum either. Anyway, in the two-minute <laughs> drill, Opera Rossoff celebrates Mariusz Kvitschen's birthday. I got lucky. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher and Spotify. You're going to click follow on Apple Podcasts. You just hit the plus sign. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes. OperaBoxScore at gmail.com. You'll get an OBS beer coaster and an OBS lapel pin while supplies last just for sharing your own hot take. Oliver Camacho. Great to see you as always.
2: It's great to be seen. Very exciting start to the clay season. The Monte Carlo tournament just began, oh, the clay. and uh, Andy Murray already is out in his first match. Poor uh, <laughs> the Andy. Scots, um, never known to be that successful on clay. But what's more exciting? I know you have something you want to talk about <laughs> Frozen Four. What's more exciting is that in the last episode of Opera Box Score, we had a um, Matt Cummings uh, stand-in, and wouldn't you know it, we got Matt Cummings himself. Uh, We've done it. Uh, We have have two
1: Matthews on this show. You cracked the code. We've been trying to get,
3: uh, we've been contacting his agent every week. (laughs) We finally got him. And here he is with all his hair. I will describe briefly for the listeners, if I may. Okay, Rapunzel. Matt has a slightly trimmed beard, just like a little bit of like fuzz, like some of that sexy stubble. And the, the most Fabio mane you've ever it's seen. A lot. It I is I feel like glorious. we need to get back
0: onto a video platform just so listeners can appreciate <laughs> yeah, yeah. how much my I'm how hair. I'm
3: kind of mesmerized. Is how the far
0: thing. my hair has come since the <laughs> lockdown days.
1: Matt Cummings, it's great to have you here again. So what have you been doing for the last six months?
0: I've been, it's only been two months, as if you can believe it's only been it. two but months? Oh, okay, yeah, okay. since uh, ever. I think I last our last it we met like our heroes, eternity. I mm. was, uh, well, that's just because I was talking a lot about Martina Arroyo last mm. time I was here, so it probably felt like a <laughs> long time to you. Uh, but I have, was in two big projects in Chicago. One was the premiere of The Life and Deaths of Alan Turing at Chicago Opera Theater, where I was in the offstage slash onstage chorus. Um, and then the following weekend, I was in the choir one for uh, Chicago Music of the Baroque's St. Matthew Passion with Jane Glover, Dame Jane Gloves, D- DJ Gloves. <laughs> I've been trying to make work as a <laughs> as a name for her. DG
2: DJ. You you heard
0: it here first.
2: Oh my goodness. So like- Wesson and I were in the audience for Alan Turing and. Um, You know, in addition to being in the chorus, you were also an onstage bully. We have to make sure I did get
0: to commit a hate crime for (laughs) about forty-five seconds.
2: Um, But the choral bits of that were uh, complicated.
0: Yeah, it's in—it's an interesting show to be in the choir of because a lot of whispering. It's very, very, very rhythmic, and we're kind of ambiance that that gets added on top of the pit in a lot of the in a lot of places. Uh, which is an interesting experience to be part of as a part of a big opera because we don't actually know what's going on for 90% of the show because we're just up in our little Cora loft, like, whispering, mm-hmm. homosexual, catapult, <laughs> <laughs> punishment. There. Yeah, I mean, like, who who hasn't? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'll definitely say that by opening night, it was so welcome to have the energy mm-hmm. of an audience back in the room again mm-hmm. to make the show feel really fresh and to just have that excitement in the room, because I do think that the piece is very cool. Um, what Justine Chen and David Simpatico have put together, like they, they have been working on this piece for over a decade. I think the music really has legs. It's total. it it has, um, a unique voice and really pretty interesting music. Uh, and, and it's, you can take a lot of it in the first time you're listening to it, which I don't always think is a successful part of every new composition that ever comes across Mm, my desk. But to be able to witness this you know, sit in the audience and see something for the first time and have a good idea of what it is that the people are trying to say and what the music is trying to do and to be able to be swept up in the performances instead of just sitting there, like, with your, your pencil, like, writing out tone rows and trying to figure out what exactly the composer <laughs> is trying to do. Like, this was it, – uh, it, it was – Exciting, and it felt like we were part of something that was live and new. And even though um, we were sort of in that liminal space between being on stage and off stage as the chorus, and I, so I didn't really get a chance to see what the show looked like. Mm-hmm. You could feel the um, the frisson.
2: And then just last week, my good call was having heard Guillaume Bowen as the evangelist in the Saint Matthew Passion, conducted by. Uh, S glove? What would you call her? DJ gloves. DJ gloves. DJ gloves.
0: The D is for J is for Dame. <laughs> okay, let lest we not forget.
2: So you guys were behind the orchestra, so I don't know if you got the full experience of Guillaume Bowen, but maybe in rehearsal you got to hear what he was like.
0: It, even from behind him, it was an outstanding performance. The, I mean, everyone in the chorus. Professional singers, I'm not going to say that it's a uniformly optimistic crew. Like, there are some people that you encounter when you're doing gigs um, who have been around the block a couple times and are a little bit jaded. But everyone was just absolutely blown away by what he did vocally, by what he did textually, by what he did dramatically. Um, it was extremely, extremely impressive. And it's a a stage that he's sharing uh, with my beloved DJ Gloves. <laughs> um uh, jane, i mean jane glover her passion for the music is incomparable she even someone who is exp- is as experienced and as knowledgeable mm-hmm. and has been uh and knows it so knows that piece so intimately like she gets nervous about doing saint matthew like the the saint matthew passion it is just a titanic work mm-hmm. yeah in it's, it's a heavyweight. In rehearsals and, uh, like, every minute up to and through the performances, she's always so proper and so classy. But she brings to that, like, a real sense of down-to-earthness. And, like, what I love about working with her is that she always seems just as excited and as privileged to be in the room working with us as we definitely feel working with her. And Hmm. um, there's a lot more reason for us to feel excited about working with her Uh, Hmm. the the, b- being a, a musicological and musical legend that she is. Um, and throughout that whole process, just the amount of attention to the character and the affect in the music that she really wanted to f- bring out and focus on telling the story and not let any kind of fireworks or bombast, though there's plenty of that in the work, get in the way. Um, that was her focus really from the first time she picked up her baton in the room with us to the end of the last concert. And it it was just a really artistically powerful and satisfying experience to be a part of as a performer.
1: Fantastic, man. Well, great to have you back here to talk some opera with us. Let's do it.
0: Huddle
3: up. Let's go inside the huddle.
1: Matthew Principe, director of live streams for Boston Baroque, is responsible for the in-real-time cutting and directing of the company's simultaneous in-person performances, which have been vital for the post-pandemic recovery of North America's first period instrument orchestra. Since 2020, Boston Baroque's digital audience has grown across 22 countries on five continents, Matthew's also the Director of Innovation at Detroit Opera, and he joins us now from the Big D Motown. Matthew, welcome to the show.
4: <laughs> hey, George. Good to be here. Thanks so much.
1: Are, are you from Detroit originally? Or no, just...
4: not at all. I'm from a small town in the Poconos, Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and uh, my family's from New York, and I decided in the pandemic, let's go check out Detroit. I love it. The the, the music here just the the vitality and the culture here everybody in this city you can talk to them about any yeah, kind of music yeah. they will have mm-hmm. an opinion and be able mm-hmm. to talk it's awesome
1: growing up in southeast michigan i got a, a little corner of my heart for for uh, motown for sure so you wear a lot of hats in a lot of places and actually we're previewing the detroit opera season later in this episode but what was your introduction to live stream direction
4: well, to live stream direction, uh, to skip every, everything, I, I was doing a lot of recording as a kid. Um, mm. And so then, uh, long story short, I wound up in, uh, in New York City and I was working at the Metropolitan Opera and starting there for the radio broadcast, uh, bringing up uh, singers to the radio booth and, and talking with them, getting a book for interviews. But then uh, they realized that I could help with the Live in HD series um, working during the intermissions uh, on stage with the l- on stage interviews, so kind of fun because it really is like you know we just finished Act One. Let's go instead right. of to the dugout. We're going right, just right. off stage or or the costume <laughs> yeah, shop exactly. or something. So all of those things and and S N Y, which is the Gary Keith and Ron show for the Mets, New York Mets. Um, they always used to have a uh, Steve Gelbs there. And so that's always kind of what I was working on the producer side of that background stuff. But, uh, so having the live streams of the the live NHDs in there, but, um, then I was just really just thinking what we can do and everybody's got a different aspect on how, um, how to bring, uh, opera and, and live performance to audiences, especially during, during lockdown. But, you know, Every every single time, we're we're especially with Boston Baroque dealing with four hundred years of of music. Right. Um, we're we're always changing around different different styles.
1: I mean, you mentioned the Mets and. and- Sports casting has to be one of the most complicated live editing jobs out there. It's fast paced, yeah. unless it's baseball. Although with the play clock now, it's a little faster. There's all these cameras. So, like, what's the prep? What's the day of logistics for you at at Boston Baroque for I guess what I'm gonna call arts casting?
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing that um, you know, we think about the, the live sports, you don't know what's going to happen. You have a basic premise that hopefully somebody's going to hit a ball and score some runs. Uh, at least in, in opera and, and music, we have a, a blueprint. We have the score. So hopefully we're looking at the conductor just to make sure that we're in the right tempo and following them. So for my prep, it really is all about the research and knowing the music. Um, Mm. for Boston Baroque, uh, I'm have the luxury that we're at the GBH studios, which is a top notch facility. And, um, with the camera crew there and the production crew, everything is happening. Their response is fantastic. So as you're saying is if I'm the one that really is, um, the, the, I don't want to say, uh, I I'm the ball. I'm the one who's who's prepping them to try to see what angle we've got. But I'm like, okay, you know, I need the bassoons, camera five, and we'll get uh the bassoons set up. And then the phrase starts and go.
3: What is the play by play of that like? Like what when you when you get in, like when the performance starts, you've got the cameras rolling, you've got the audio going. Uh what do you do if like Something goes wrong. Even how, how do you how do you go through a performance like that?
4: I do have the live performance being on stage. I I was a singer, and so I right. definitely have that empathy, but also that musical training of feeling when people are uncomfortable or when our cameras are kind of uncomfortable. Mm. Even myself, um, I do have a score reader who's always in my other ear, telling me when the violins are coming in. When the winds, when the horns, when when this singer is coming in, so when it gets my my whole my whole getting back to all of it is what is the intent of this broadcast? Mm. When I'm doing Boston Baroque, um, we're the only period instrument, uh, one of the foremost period instrument orchestras in the country, right. and you know it really is about the experience of letting the audience in in at, at home on their own screens really getting them to activate their visual listening as well mm. so i'm not always going for the most pinpoint spot you can't it's not just the flute it's not just the concert master i'm always trying to get some wide shots or flowing shots to make sure they're they're able uh, mm. the audience is able to activate their own um ears and to say oh there's the flute that i was just hearing and kind of opening that up so
1: but the show that's coming up in, is an opera right so it's the yeah. gluck opera so is is that going to be a kind of a different uh, ball
4: game oh yeah which is actually a, a wonderful wonderful opera by gluck um yeah we're we're now dealing with staging which which yeah. really is broad. <laughs> that's, that's the um, twist yeah, so that that was a fun thing when when we did um de gaula last season, yes, um it was really fun to to what what I do is I'll I'll be coming in next week and taking a look at the staging and, and beyond the music, I'll be taking notes in the score of when there are really important items that are happening, staging aspects whether this is really a wide shot because the projections are going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a big blood moon that we're going to be, you know, that's really important to this opera, but mm. also the relationships um, and making sure that I'm getting the right coverage uh, depending on the staging, that if, if everybody's right next to each other, we can really do some close-ups and zooms in. But um, if they're right away from each other, I do need to get that proper coverage and getting that different angle of, when we're doing recitatives, who's talking and where that dialogue is.
3: Yeah, it, it, it's such a challenge, too. I mean, I I, I don't do too much with uh, video personally, but I've had a bit of experience with the audio portion. Uh, and I, I find it so difficult, especially with opera, to get that, you know, uh, almost as close to a studio sound as possible when you're also struggling with the staging, the background noise, you know, uh, I think of how many like classic opera performances, you know, have only been ever, you know, recorded live and there's someone clunking around in the background and coughing and and (laughs) doing all this and all that. What do you do to like mitigate those kinds of issues? Um, Maybe if you're doing more of the visuals, maybe that's not quite your wheelhouse, but I'm sure you have to think about those sorts of things. When audience and uh, background noise is concerned,
4: yeah, I totally understand. But my thing is, you don't mitigate that. This is mm. a live performance. Mm. This is if we if we want a studio performance, we'll get a studio performance. But this mm. is a live performance. Mm-hmm. It's something actually. As as director of innovation at Detroit Opera, I work on the radio broadcasts, right. and I've brought in uh, I've brought in a, a production crew there, and the mixers. I'm I'm telling them. I want to make the sound like the Detroit Opera House. I don't want a studio mm, recording because I yeah. want them to hear what it should feel like if you're sitting in the audience. And that's the same thing that's happening at GBH. And that's, you know, um working a lot of times in musical theater and opera and live performance. Every performance is special. That's why right. regardless if you've got 3 games at at Wrigley Field, you might want to go to all three because you don't know what's gonna happen mm-hmm. when when the opponents are there. So that's well, the excitement so, of it. So
1: much of a sports cast too is about hearing the crowd, right? Like if you're listening to baseball on the radio, so much of those crowd noises tell you how to how to feel about what's happening mm. out there in the in the field of play. Uh, Matthew, I, I want to expand the conversation a little bit into digital media. Before I do, let's do a sideways move to Detroit Opera. So there you are, Director of Innovation. You've talked about one thing that, that's on your job list there. Uh, unpack the title for us and and talk us through some <laughs> of your other responsibilities at Detroit before we go back to digital.
4: Sure. It's a, it's a lot of buzzwords, but uh, in essence... The director of innovation role is digital strategy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it is how we present to the public. Uh, it's, it's a lot of public facing, And right now with a lot of digital, it's the messaging, um, social media, how we work on our social media channels uh, and platforms, and also the, the interviews and, and the, the technical side of, of how we get our messages to um, to the public. So whether that's a form of edutainment, mm-hmm. um, talking with Fountain of Tears, which we just premiered this weekend, uh, we are talking about the influences of um, the Middle Eastern music in Spanish flamenco, mm-hmm. uh, as well as having uh, you know as Goliov on on podcasts and mm-hmm. etc. and and how we get those distribution lines. So it's it's a, both the technical side of distribution and the creative side of the content as well
1: yeah for sure so I, at what point do you think we're going to reach saturation of digital media or of live streams <laughs> in the opera world oh, oh not to put you out of a job matthew but like <laughs> are, are we going to get to a point when it's like you know what we have done what we need to do with this art form or is there a way that that we're going to ensure that this art form and I, I do think it's an art form that it is going to kind of live on in perpetuity
4: yeah, I I actually have no qualms about that. We will all find our our ways, our pathways to absorb this content. Um again, we'll we'll go with opera was one of the first uh first things to be recorded. Um right. you know, the radio broadcasts have been classical music, have been uh opera performances. Uh there was uh one uh world series in which they stopped in the middle of an opera to uh, announce the World Series win. So there have always been times of, you know, having, having that in and out. Um, and so I think actually our technical innovation and distribution systems have always been there. That's the question of, oh, we've got TV now, you know, plays and, and stage is always under threat. And now we've got internet stage stage and, and performances under threat. I think it's just a piece of our humanity that will always need these stories how we tell the stories and how we receive them is what's the fun part. Um, I do think, yeah, we're, you know, with, with the lockdown and um, everybody doing that, that quick pivot to try to try to figure out uh, how we can keep our audiences engaged. um, We're now seeing those who really value Mm -hmm. the yes. And of the live performance and the digital performance, um, and I don't want to say it's a little VHS or beta, but those who are doing the quality, <laughs> quality broadcasts, you know, it could be it could be who's getting there. But it's also that doesn't even matter. You could be in the big leagues um, in, in the bigger markets. But, you know, there's always going to be minor league baseball as well. So you're always going to have the farm teams as well. Mm. So people are still going to need that music out there.
1: I mean it's a it's a good parallel, right? Like Met and HD, of course, you know, predated the pandemic by at least a decade, I I think. Yeah. Um two thousand six. Two thousand six. Yep. Thank you very much. Um so that's always that's always been around you know, you look at like ESPN's slate now, there's literally nothing you can't watch on ESPN Plus. <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
4: <laughs> well, the Ocho I- is the best.
1: Oh my goodness! Get your get your popcorn ready. Uh, so, so what's what's next? Like, how does does live streaming? Well, like, how like, well, it's in
3: it's in your title, right? How, how Yeah, what where's the innovation? What do you see coming next with uh, live streaming or digit digitizing this art form? You know, I feel like we've with the pandemic, we had a lot of people exper a lot of companies experimenting, and some things seem to be sticking, some things maybe not. Where do you see it going forward from your vantage point uh, in this, you know, maybe not quite post-pandemic, but, you know, post-intense pandemic innovation era that we're now in?
4: Yeah, uh, for me, I, I think we continue with it. Um, no matter what, uh, opera companies, um, non-profit arts industries and institutions, um, and and our supporters... Um, If we had Medici around, that'd be really fantastic Mm -hmm. that um, we could, we could still support ourselves and take the artistic risks. Um, In addition to new music, which is certainly vital of our artistic expression of humanity. So is our taking our risks on the technological side as well. Right. Um, There is, there is a little bit of a, a schism right now of, those who are technically proficient in, in providing this, mm-hmm. but not really aware of the subject matter. So that's why it's right. really fantastic to have opera box score. Um, but also when I was working on the Met and HDs, I was doing a lot of post-production. Mm-hmm. And the post-production crew would have to watch the operas. And they're like, now I have my favorite soprano. Oh, this offers <laughs> the best. I love this, Aria, and and you know, doing documentaries. It's the same way. Everybody's learning, so mm. it, it's it's the tools that we all have. What what are your specialties and those tools? But finding the subject matter um, interesting and getting that all together. That's I really what it is for me is um, those coming those institutions coming back from lockdown, uh, really understanding that they now have two different. Uh, avenues of creating their content their actual in-person content which Mm -hmm. is i don't want to say basic but maybe that's how they started that Mm -hmm. was their mission of stage performances as well as the supplemental material or or just the production screen production or content as we're doing right now this side of it as well um and getting that support financial support and from from everyone to to really work on both
1: I mean, of course, the other thing that live streaming provides, you know, for our art form of opera is accessibility, right? So, like, let's say a company is doing a site-specific production in a venue that is not uh, ADA compliant, and and that's not their fault. That's just like we need the show to be here. This building was built in eighteen ninety, but now with live streaming, <laughs> accessibility is can be uh, addressed.
4: Yeah, and it's also a fan- fantastic of. Uh, a- uh, opportunity for democratization of access yeah. as well as you're saying is um, whether those are physical barriers financial barriers or or just geographical barriers uh, that's the beautiful thing about live streaming is you're able to to take in this work now
3: yeah I, I remember when i was uh you know much younger i i'm originally from alabama not a huge opera scene down there uh, but I remember how much easier it got to, like, introduce my friends to opera with just, like, the advent of, like, YouTube and, like, clips that you could just show them, you know? Uh, it's so much better than just, like, here's a CD of this music you don't understand the context of. But once you have the ability to just go online and see, you know, I almost wonder, like, if the, the next step is something like AR, VR. Well, what?
4: That, that's funny that you talked about that. But I I also I absolutely believe that opera is a visual medium. I, right. I, as, as you said... You know, in school studying vocal performance, I was always listening to CDs. I'm not that interested in listening. Mm. I am, mm. I am for a live broadcast to hear the actual breath of this person, to hear them mm. lunge. But a studio recording, I'm not all that interested in. It's mm. about watching how that interaction happens. And and what you're saying is is spot on for me. Is just really. Um, the accessibility and being able to to work on that but this weekend actually i did have a meeting about um how we can actually work in augmented reality and vr and i actually have been doing that stuff here in detroit
1: right on so that's that's something i was going to ask you that's something you clearly believe in and you have some skin in the game on
4: yeah it it is about um i think all of it for me is edutainment but also music appreciation so when other people can appreciate um if we can give them as much information as possible, what it feels like to be on stage or to be in the opera house, Mm -hmm. um, all of those aspects, you know, seeing, seeing a documentary, a day in the life of, of a piston basketball player going, Mm -hmm. going somewhere Mm -hmm. or, or the day in the life of, of a wardrobe person actually being in, in the closet and filing through all the different costumes and trying to fit the right ones. You know, all that stuff can be really interesting, but, um,
1: Ouch. Detroit Pistons, that's a very sore subject. Uh, Matthew, you, of course, you're a huge New York Mets fan. You got the, like, uh, um, commemorative cup right here in front of you. Oh, yeah.
4: Yeah. As soon as I moved to Detroit, I still kept all my all my Mets Mets cups that I got from games.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. And, of course, you also mentioned to me off air, um, you watch uh, soccer and you watch the um, the Bundesliga in Germany.
4: Yep. Yeah, I watched that on ESPN Plus, of course. Um,
3: yeah. I emphasis <laughs> on the plus for that one, I think.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. I I wasn't I didn't grow up with soccer. My my actual my great uncle played for the New York Giants football. And oh, so wow. baseball right. baseball and soccer were not family family sports. But I remember watching Euro Cup and I wanna say mm-hmm. this is two thousand four. No, two uh anyway, it was it was Italy and Spain and just watching them. Watching them just all play in concert together and you're just seeing the different styles of, of play. I was entranced and I love Bundesliga, just just seeing their different apparatus.
1: Who's your who's your team in the Bundesliga?
4: Uh, so in, in Bundesliga 1, it is Dor- uh, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, but in Bundesliga zwei, it is the St. Pauli Pirate and the Pirates oh, of Hamburg.
1: <laughs> so cool. So cool. It makes, it makes total sense. Gluck's on Ontoride stars Wendy Harmer and William Burden. It's streaming live on Friday, April 21st at 8 p.m. 7 central on Adagio Concerts. Matthew is going to be there. I hope our listeners are going to be there too. Matthew, thank you so much for hanging out with us.
4: Thank you. Great to be here.
3: Or not, or torna, or
1: Friends of the show, Amanda Forsyth and Anthony Roth Costanzo in Handel's Amadigi di Gaula. Produced in 2022 at Boston Brook. Hey, who knew Handel like wrote so many shows? <laughs> it's,
3: it's the crazy. fabled sixth Handel
1: opera. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, click follow, Apple Podcasts, hit the plus sign, a little bit of sports talk before we get into the two-minute drill. The Frozen Four, which is college hockey's final tournament, is over. The little college of Quinnipiac in Connecticut wins it all.
0: (laughs) Known mostly for their polling.
1: (laughs)
2: Connecticut's having a good year, huh? Having a great year. What is their mascot?
1: I think they're Cougars. Yeah, I think they're Cougars, pretty sure. The other thing you have to go and look for is uh, NBA coach Greg Popovich going off On gun control at a post game press conference. I'm going to leave it at that. If you know Pop, you know this. He is an outspoken political man as much as he is a fabulous NBA coach. And boy, he went on for just shy of 10 minutes attacking the Tennessee legislature for expelling members of that August body. In the wake of the shootings in Tennessee, try and find that. Right now, you're gonna find The Two Minute Drill. This just in, The Two
0: Minute Drill. All
1: right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week.
0: As we record on Monday, April 10th, Terrence Blanchard's champion is making its Metropolitan Opera debut. Toy, toy, toy to the cast and crew, including friend of the show, Ryan Speedo Green. We want a good, clean fight.
2: <laughs> Detroit Opera has announced its 23 24 season, featuring Madama Butterfly, Missy Mazzoli's Breaking the Waves, Royce Fabrics' Breaking the Waves as well, and The Cunning Little Vixen, and John Cage's Europas Three and Four Bops. Artistic only. director, <laughs> your artistic director Yuval Sharon is dubbing the season collide and collage, saying three out of the four operas this season are debuts in Detroit. The season offers a sense of collage, different elements coming together and resonating with each other to give a much larger picture of what opera can mean for us now. The Grand Teatro di
3: Leciu has announced that it will co-produce a new Ring cycle with La Monet, led by avant-garde Italian director Roman Rome, Romeo Castellucci, beginning next season. Artistic director Victor Garcia de Gomar said, "Quote." Castellucci defines a new way of understanding opera and recodes it by proposing an ethical and aesthetic ceremony reflecting <laughs> on today's world from this compendium of human emotions such as the Tetralogy. Sounds like a real popcorn flick.
1: San Diego Opera has canceled its performances of Zach Redler and Jerry Dyes' The Falling and the Rising, saying, quote, as we navigate the new post-COVID world... With the cost of producing opera skyrocketing and box office revenue down from pre-pandemic levels, the fiscally responsible action is to cancel these performances through nimble adaptation to changing environments we ensure the future of San Diego opera for our community.
0: Waltraud Maya is retiring from the stage after a 40-year international career. She performed one of her last concerts in her hometown of Würzburg in the same concert hall where her career began in 1976. She also announced the creation of a festival dedicated to the works of Jacques Offenbach in Klagenfurt, Austria, where she will be the artistic
2: director. Baltrud Meyer, and Offenbach, two tastes that go so well together. <laughs> like, like peas and carrots. In trade news, uh, Marius Kvitschen has resigned as artistic director at Rotslav Opera after allegations surfaced surrounding his hiring, his conduct in office, and his salary. Kvichin retired from singing in 2020, citing back problems, and was almost immediately appointed to the vacancy at Rotslov. An official investigation has been ordered into some of the allegations, which include a private birthday party at the Opera House. Yusuf Ivatsov has been appointed director
0: of the Azerbaijan State Academic Opera and Ballet Theater. Take that, rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Brad Cohen is set to become New Zealand Opera's next General Director. Said Cohen, I look forward to working with the board and staff and strengthening our connection with communities and audiences, growing our opera ecosystem, celebrating our history, and playing our part in creating a
2: sustainable future for opera in New Zealand. On the disabled list, Angela Garicu. American fans will have to keep waiting for her return to the Met. The Romanian soprano was forced to withdraw from her performances of Tosca, including the radio broadcast, after testing positive for COVID-19. Soprano Ludmila Monastroyska jumped into the titular role in her stead.
1: Michelle Bradley has withdrawn from the Met's upcoming production of Aida for personal reasons. Angela Mead and Leah Cucetta will each sing the role for performances in April and May.
0: Exit stage right, conductor Konstantin Starovitsky has died in Ukraine on the front line of the Russian invasion. He graduated from Ukraine's National Music Academy, was a bassoonist in the National Academic Brass Orchestra, and went on to conduct at the Kiev Opera. Since the invasion, he has served as a senior rifleman defending the Brovary District in Kharkiv Oblast. The National Philharmonic of Ukraine wrote about his death. A musician, conductor, father and son was killed in the war. A hero, Konstantin
2: Starovitsky. And on this day april 10th the premieres were in 1725 Attila Oriosti's Dario in London in 1840 Gaetano Donizetti's Les Martyrs in Paris in 1868 Brahms's a german requiem not quite an opera but we always love our operatic soloists doing the baritone and soprano solos that was in uh Bremen on Good Friday in 1868 and in 1886 Emmanuel Chabrier's Gwendoline Premiered in Brussels. Uh, also in 1913, the first performance of Montez- Montemezzi's *La More di Tre Re* at La Scala, with Tullio Serafin conducting. Birthdays on this day, April 10th, include Italian conductor and composer Victor de Sabata, uh, Peruvian tenor Luigi Alva, born in Lima in 1927, American tenor Kenneth Regal in Pennsylvania, and on this day, April 10th, in 1955, English soprano Leslie Garrett was born.
1: And that's your two-minute drill.
0: Some tough competition from the birthday boys and girls, but we had to go with the retiring grand dame, Waltraud Meyer. Lover uh, of Offenbach. Lover of (laughs) Offenbach. What she's
3: most known for.
0: And featured here in a clip from a production of Lohengrin at Baden-Baden in 2006 with Kent Nagano conducting, this is the Ortrud and Weiter Goethe invocation scene. Uh, Waltraud Meyer is... Such an electric singer, she's done both dramatic mezzo and dramatic soprano roles. She was a really mm-hmm. notable Isolda throughout her career. Um, she's on the video recording of the, one of the the first one of the first French five act Don Carlo recordings as well with Nagano conducting uh just really a force to be re- reckoned with and someone who will be greatly missed.
3: Huge stage presence, just an amazing performer.
2: Would you call her a, a soprano Falcone? Probably.
0: Or I, I mean, more, of it, a swi-
2: more of a sufficient, kind of, dramatic sufficient fuck, you know?
0: Yeah, the it, her voice definitely sits on the lower side, but some of those big dramatic roles just don't require you to sit up at the top of the staff quite in a way yeah. that is congenial for her voice, so she mm-hmm. can pop off those high notes, but she definitely doesn't want to sit
2: up there all day. Right, right, yeah. Well, she had a big career at the Met, which is, of course, in the news this week, Um As we already said, friend of the show, Ryan Speedo Green, right now is shirtless in front of 3,000 people. (laughs) After all those workouts.
3: When I was doing research for the two-minute drill, uh, I always do a little bit of Googling um, and I was having trouble finding anything because every single story is about champion right now, and I think with good reason. Obviously, uh, Terrence Blanchard returning to the Met. Um, the production looks really cool. I've been seeing a couple clips here and there, yeah. and uh, just the just like the absolute commitment of everyone to this i think ryan speedo green he, he like he like worked out uh and he's like worked lost out?
0: 60 worked out, out is an understatement that's an he,
1: understatement okay so, he is jacked <laughs> for dude, this okay. role you I, know? Was, I was gonna save this for my good call i i can't wait any longer sorry cummings i'm gonna i'm gonna steal your fire it's like There's it's a,
0: kind of a communal there's good an article.
1: a good call. First of all, there's an article on ESPN.com about this production. So you already know that you've made the big time when your stuff is on ESPN.com. When second do you think all, is the
0: last time they wrote about opera?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm going to try never. So the other thing is, is, is that Speedo, he lost 60 pounds to Wild. do this show. Okay, so that's almost half my body weight, first of all. And second of all, <laughs> really? like – after I you
2: shaved, especially. <laughs> you <know? laughs>
1: I wouldn't know where to begin to try and lose 60 pounds. Well,
3: my question is like, uh, I mean, I would be nervous to to see what that would do to my voice. Honestly, I don't think I'm capable of losing 60 pounds. But uh, just such a huge difference uh, uh, to not have the same, you know, uh,
2: knowledge of your instrument, you know, on a basic level is fair, really yeah. intimidating to me, yeah, you know. fair, fair. Well, I just wanted to add that um, it's interesting because Champion is coming to Lyric Opera mm-hmm. next year. Yeah. Um, and this is a lot of Terrence Blanchard in the span of just a couple of years from both The Met and from Lyric. And um, one would say, I, I learned this from Anthony Freud, that the reason why they were able to turn it around really quickly and get Blanchard back on the uh, season projections was because of COVID, uh, because mm. of all the reshuffling That had to happen during the shutdown. Some things that were in the works uh, for, you know, maybe season 21, season 22 that uh, they canceled uh, allowed a piece like Champion to come up the pipeline faster because it was ready, already ready, you know. Uh, Since it already premiered, I forget where, Champion from Minnesota or something like that. I think it premiered at St. St. Louis. St. Louis, Louis, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, good for Terrence Blanchard. He's having a moment, and great for Ryan Speedo Green, who is really the poster child for this Met season. You're about to say, Matt, I'm sorry.
0: Well, yeah, I I think it's also interesting just that a lot of the press coverage of this opera talks about what it's like to be able to still have Terrence Blanchard there, making adjustments that'll make it uh, more congenial to a big space like the Met or like Lyric Opera after it was, you know, composed as a little bit more of a chamber opera. Uh, to the yeah, And really down to the list where he can even rewrite vocal lines for like Ryan Speedo Green or Latonia Moore, mm-hmm. who just are are not able to make the same kind of dramatic impact with the piece as it had existed in its earlier iterations. You know, he can appa- just, there. there's a, an anecdote in one of the time stories where Latonia Moore's like, hey, can you rewrite this? And he just like jots it down and sends it over to her. And she, cha- and like on the spot, they just Amazing. change the score.
2: Hmm.
3: I mean, this is the kind of stuff they used to do all the time back in the 19th century, right? You know, gone are the days where you had to have a Paris version with a ballet for your opera. But I do think it is exciting <laughs> to see this level of, collaboration again um on such a big stage as the mets uh, i do think this is you know an advantage that
2: i'd like to see more of on large-scale houses throughout the u.s and elsewhere so just uh last week we were talking about um oh we were talking about as we were talking about sonya yoncheva last week mm-hmm, about her yeah. her cancellation um earlier These iron in the week curtain sopranos yeah. <laughs> are just <laughs> earlier in the week uh we had this sort of insane article from zachary wolf about um you know, Angela Gheorghew and all of her antics, and maybe her broken relationship with Peter Gelb. She was much it, more of a. It
0: felt like a flashback to
2: 2013, <laughs> like the, yeah. when
0: all of these stories were written the last time. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And like her marriage to Alanya and how they were ridiculous and how she like rejected a wig and like all this stuff, you know. But uh, she made it sound like, you know, she has been wanting to come back to the Met and Peter Gelb, it's been him who's like been pre- preventing her. Mm-hmm. And then wouldn't you know it, she gets two performances of Tosca, one of them a radio broadcast, so really wide reach. And uh, they were talking about how she was in rehearsal, like not following stage direction, inventing the blocking as she went along. <laughs> and then she went and she got COVID. And like, I don't even know how to feel about that. It's like, that sucks because I actually wanted to hear it. I wonder what it's she sounds like. just no? anticlimactic. I know. Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm desperate to hear what she sounds like, like 10 years later.
3: Yeah. yeah. Me too. Absolutely. I'm also desperate to hear this Detroit season. Are you kidding me? This is this, crazy. <laughs> this is a wild season. When was the last time uh, your operas three and four were presented anywhere in the world? Okay,
1: so so <laughs> I'm I'm searching on opera base and all I'm getting is sorry. No performances exist.
3: <laughs> I think I think it. I I know it's performed at least one time in K, when Cage was around and doing it. But I, I have a. I believe I have a recording. Uh, it, it literally is of a course collage. You, of course, well, you, of, of course, course, you do. Yeah, but like, I, I will say it, it's on the weirder side as you would expect from John Cage. But it's kind of also interesting to hear a, a John Cage take on opera. Um, but even beyond that, like we, we've got a pretty solid. Uh, Everything else is pretty solid too. I love breaking the waves. It's a really neat opera. I still feel cheated that, um, that COVID took it away from us here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and cunning little vixen is also one of my favorites. Uh, Yuval nice. Sharon is going to conduct something Something going to be out of order.
0: A big year for Janacek yeah. next year. Next yeah, season. Yeah, 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 really.
3: Yeah. Um, uh, even even the butterfly is uh, is going to be uh, pretty good. You have got Matthew Ozawa dir- uh, directing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you've got uh, uh, an Asian slash Asian American team for that, which uh, with uh, Kinsho uh, Watanabe conducting, yeah. which is really the only way I think we can do butterfly at this point yeah, in time it seems
2: it seems like like from the press about it they're trying to create like a sensitive to asian culture <laughs> yeah. Butterfly. yeah
3: don't
0: worry we're taking this seriously great <laughs> yeah. message to send honestly no notes
3: yeah. yeah honestly i i i think that this might be this might be the season that i finally make it out there to the motor city because this is a a really
2: cool season i'm really excited and about just it. a quick retraction um on the jana um Yuval known is not conducting it. He's directing it. Roberto oh. Roberto Colby is will be conducting it. <laughs> that, That'd so. be interesting if he was I, conducting
3: I was like, what does <laughs> he gonna, that he's guy do? <laughs> he can't okay. be stopped. He's
2: shocked. everywhere. He can't uh. be the triple threat like Mariusz Kowicz and um, <laughs> Baritone, and um, Partygoer or something. I don't know. Um, so there's a really strange article from uh, a Polish news source that you know, when you translate it in the Google Translate, it's not really clear exactly what happened. So we'll, we'll <laughs> follow up. Say. Go- we'll Google follow Translate up. does not speak fluent Polish. <laughs> no. We'll follow up on this story as we learn more. But uh, apparently he was asked to resign from his post at uh, Opera Wrocław Vrat- uh, because of, um, you know, maybe misusing his power, maybe throwing himself a birthday party. I don't know if he was doing something. I mean, it feels like, okay, that's pretty, that's bad, but it's not like fireable offense, you know? But it sounds like there might be more to the story that we haven't quite heard Some, yet. Some
1: like financial irregularities, Some maybe? contract shenanigans,
0: I, potentially. It's
1: yeah,
2: very unclear.
0: It, we wouldn't it, want to cast aspersions We don't
1: deal in conjecture. Any of
3: our Not listeners who can speak Polish, please <laughs> look it up and let us know what's going on.
1: Yeah. score at gmail.com. <laughs> Here, here's, here's, what I, here's what I don't understand. So San Diego Opera cancels performances of the... This opera, The Falling and the Rising, which is the music's by Zach Redler, the librettos by Jerry Dye. Um, full disclosure, I've directed this opera, I know these two people, all right? It's a great piece, it has been around for a number of years, uh, it is about a female American soldier who survives a, um improvised explosive device attack and her sort of struggle to deal with um, post-traumatic stress syndrome. It's a great, tight opera. I I don't understand two things. First of all, I don't know why Jerry Dye's name isn't on the poster on the San Diego Opera (laughs) website. That is is unconscionable in this day and age to not put the librettist on the poster, right? Mark Campbell, Uh uh-uh. You don't forget to put his name out there. Second of all, I, I don't get why... It's fiscally responsible to cancel this opera and then to say to ticket holders, give us a call and we'll let you know how the money you've spent on your tickets can be transferred to another show. Like that doesn't add up for me, you right? So it's basic. Is it a bait and switch? It's a very pricey one if that's what it is.
3: I mean, it, I, it's it's very strange. I mean, anytime like a big cancellation happens like this, it's
1: it,
3: I always feel like there's something going on in the background that we don't know about. I I, okay, I don't think fair. I ever hear. I don't think I ever hear about a, a, a kind of a not really well, like not super last minute, but like I never hear about a a big cancellation of an entire production like this where I felt like I've known from the press release what exactly is going on. Um, I suspect that there's a lot of financial problems behind the scenes. Um, maybe there was, uh, especially with a new opera, maybe there was, uh, some, uh, some contract issues where someone asked for more money because, you know, they can, because it's a living, it's not a, you know, dead composer who can't ask for more. It could be a number of things. I, I, I do agree with you. It's pretty extreme to cancel and, um, just shift the tickets like that. Um, but like uh,
1: they ju- they're just coming off a production of Tosca and then in mid-April there's three performances of a new opera called Ghost so like folks out there in opera land tell me what I'm missing why are these numbers not adding up to me what am I getting wrong here because it that, makes it, no sense
3: we are, we, we've already reached out to our Polish listeners so if you're an <laughs> accountant you can uh, let us know about this
1: one <laughs> let's wrap this show up
3: good call bad call on opera box score.
1: Good call, bad call to wrap up this week's episode. Well, we're going to go with the person who has appeared least recently, Matt Cummings.
0: (laughs) I mean, aside from my good call, just being back with you fine gentlemen. Oh yeah. Mm. Go on. Uh, I, we are, we already touched a little bit on my good call, which is this incredible feature from ESPN uh, about opera, uh, which really deserves extra props for being the first thing I read today that wasn't about last night's episode of Succession. <laughs> <laughs> that could hold
3: my attention. No spoilers. <laughs>
1: Weston Williams,
3: uh, I have two bad calls. One was on Easter. I attempted to buy Cadbury cream egg, and it was uh, almost two dollars. So eggflation has really hit the chocolate bird oh, market as well. Uh, my other bad call is that um, it's very difficult. You know, uh, as some of my listeners, our listeners might know, I am planning a wedding soon. And uh, I have access to a solo violinist, and it's very difficult to uh, to uh, arrange i am licked with the solo violin. Yeah, it's, it's a little hard, you know, and it's such a long piece, too, for the for the procession. You have to go in slow motion, or maybe I could do, like, kind of a Robert Wilson thing, like with Einstein on the beach, where I go forwards and backwards, you know. I'm still working on it, but I want it to be as avant-garde as possible. How are you getting Sequenza 3 into your recessional? <laughs> that's going to be, uh, that's going to be the the first dance tune our first dance
2: that we danced to so it's gonna be it's gonna be beautiful
1: oliver camacho
2: well you missed the perfect seg that matt set up for us but um i'm just uh like obsessed with succession right now and i've been listening to all the podcasts like the pre-cap and the recap and i've even been going back and watching old episodes uh because it's so good and last night's episode was so heartbreaking so i'm proposing uh, Succession, the opera, and we could go ahead and start casting season one. Uh, for season one of Succession, the opera, so it'll be like the ring. Uh, we'll get four of them. Uh, I say Ferruccio uh, Furlanetto as Logan Roy, um, as Marsha Roy, Angela Gireguy if she doesn't cancel, and uh, as uh, Roman Roy, uh, I say friend of the show Theo Hoffman. They're about the same size, and you know they have that sort of a uh, not the word is squirrely but what did we call him Gemine, <laughs> like uh you know somebody who's like small and uh youthful looking who's a man uh george cedarquist no no oh, we yeah. had a, we had a word i'll think of the word so anyway still need to cast kendall and shiv and tom wamsgams and cousin if, Greg, it,
0: so. if it were 20 years ago matthew polanzani would be a great tom wombsgams <laughs> yes midwestern yes. nice yes <laughs>
1: Good call here to Tapestry Opera in Canada. This is one of my favorite Canadian opera companies. They've just closed a run of an opera called Of the Sea. It was written by Black playwright Kanika Ambrose, music by Matisse and uh, French-Canadian musician Ian Cusson, directed by the award-winning Black cultural leader, director, and actor Philip Aiken, and features a... For the first time, actually, in a large scale Canadian opera and all black cast. What mm. a triumph for this company that goes from strength to strength. That is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about Impish. Opera. Impish. That was the word you were looking for. Make sure you subscribe <laughs> to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, send us that voice memo or just email us your hot takes, operaboxcore at gmail.com. Find links to stuff we've talked about at our website and in the show notes, operaboxcore.com. And that's also where you can put your money where our mouths are. On that website, you can give back to the OBS on the donate page. Your announcer is Norm Waddell. Your creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. And your audio editor is Weston Williams. For co-host Matt Cummings and our guest, Matthew Principe, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you lose 60 pounds for the opportunity to punch a tenor in the face. We're (laughs) back with an all new show next week. Plus you're going to get more opera headlines, more hot takes and more private birthday parties. Join us.